Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, church. We are so glad you're with us today. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford, and we're glad that you're joining us online. Just real quick, last week we got an opportunity to, uh, some of us got an opportunity to, to meet outside. We did church outside. We did the socially distanced thing, but man, the opportunity to meet with one another, uh, to sing, uh, to enjoy Kona Ice who came out, and uh, it was just a great weekend to be with one another. So uh, if you came with us, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, If you didn't get the opportunity to come uh, last weekend, we actually are going to begin doing it on the first and third Sundays of the month. So that means uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, uh, August 16th, you can have an opportunity to come and join us uh, in person as well. There'll be more details regarding that both on on social media, uh, as well as on our app, as well as uh, through email if you're a part of our newsletter. So all that to be said, uh, we're just excited that you're with us, and we're continuing to push on in this series in the book of Galatians, uh, specifically Jesus plus nothing. And uh, if I'm starting to sound like a broken record because of the takeaways every single week, that the takeaway is indeed Jesus plus nothing, that's not going to change this week. And that's because Paul is so passionate about clarifying the gospel for uh, the Galatian people. Uh, So before we get started, uh, we we are going to be in Galatians 3 today, specifically 1 through 9. Last week we preached through 1 through 5, uh, but this is part of a a longer uh, section of verses, specifically 1 through 9, that we're going to get through today. So you can flip over there or tap over there, whatever it may be. The verses will be on the screen for those of you uh, who who don't have a Bible at home. But uh, before we we get into that, I just want to share a story with you. Uh, A while back, Sarah and I, our family had grown uh, to about the size that it is now. We have, I think, 37 kids. We have five boys uh, and the two of us, and we had a large dog. Um, at the time, and so we were we were looking for an SUV, and we were thinking we wanted a uh, a suburban, something that didn't fall too deeply into the soccer mom category, but could also hold all of our kids and their sports equipment uh, when it needed to. So we were searching and searching and searching. We were looking at dealerships. We were looking online uh, at like individual sales and all that th- all that stuff. And eventually, uh, we found one. It was through a private seller that looked good. It was in our price range. And so I had me and a friend of mine, uh, we drove down together. Uh, I gave it a test drive. I checked out the mileage. I kicked the tires. I shelled out the money. We drove it home. And my wife and I really were pretty happy with it. And we were happy with it for all of about mm, a month or so. Uh, and then the first repair came after about a month. And I forgot what the repair, repair was specifically, but it was the first repair. We thought, okay, yeah, not, not that big of a deal. All cars need to be repaired and that sort of thing. And then uh, a little while later came the second repair. Then a little while later came the third repair. And pretty soon before we knew it, uh, we had probably paid more in repairs on this car than what the car was actually worth. And so finally there was another thing that we had to get repaired. I think it was the alternator that went out. Uh, and so because of that, I was like, you know what, I'm done. We repaired the alternator. I drove it uh, over to, uh, to trade the, the Suburban in uh, because I wasn't going to sell this car to anybody. I was like, you know what, I'm giving it to the dealership and they can, they can just deal with it. 
Um, and so we drove it over there, and we're hoping to get, you know, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000, something like that. Um, and so ho- the hope was, obviously, like everybody's hope, we could take that money, roll it into a new car, and we wouldn't be hurting uh, as badly to come up with that money. Um, and so we got there. We got to the dealership. They do their inspection. They run their Carfax report, and I'm sitting there way longer than I feel like is necessary, like I'm sure you've done in the past as well. Um, and the guy comes in, and he says, you know what? Uh, we can give you $3,000 for it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, okay, classic car dealership. These guys are cheap. They're trying to rip you off. It's worth way more money than that. Well, not maybe because it was cheap, but because uh, someone at some point in the life of that car had rolled back the odometer over 50,000 miles. And they were able to catch it because of the fact they ran the, the Carfax report, right? And so on the Carfax, every time you go in, they log mileage. And so it said, you know, 25,000, 50,000, 75,000, 150,000, 170,000. And then it goes back to 110,000 miles. We're like, wait, 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 time out. Something is not adding up here. Um, we just thought that we had purchased a lemon at some point. Uh, but they were able to find, hey, no, this is actually a bigger issue. Someone's rolled back your odometer uh, at some point. So the car that we thought we had bought with 112,000 miles on it actually had somewhere north of 160,000 miles on it. And so the, the dealership couldn't give us uh, couldn't give us, you know, retail value on a used Suburban because essentially it was a, a salvage title. So they're like, hey, we can give you two, maybe $3,000. It's like, you said 3000 That's what you're going to do. We're going to take it. Um, but I was frustrated. My wife was frustrated. We were frustrated because we had entered into an agreement with the private seller back when we bought it. Um, and that agreement ended up not being a fair agreement. He had misrepresented really what was being offered to us at that point. So as I entered into that contract with him, I didn't understand what I was actually getting myself into. And I really do think this probably happens to everybody at some point, maybe not necessarily with used cars or anything like that, but we, what, we realize that what we sign up for maybe doesn't meet the expectations that we have or simply entering into a contract or agreement with someone else can always be sketchy. It, it, it maybe doesn't always line up with what we hope it would be. Think about a time maybe that you made an agreement with someone, either like, uh, you know, at your business or, or with your kids or with your spouse or with your friends or anything like that. Maybe what you got or what you promised actually didn't live up to the hype. You know, this happens all the time with my kids. Like, I'll say, hey, guys, no, not tonight. We, we can have chocolate tomorrow night. And all of a sudden, it's like a blood oath to them. Like, if I don't live up to my side uh, of the deal, my side of the contract, they, they will come and find me and hold me uh, accountable to that. But, but either way, if you have experienced that or you haven't experienced that, as we continue into Galatians, we need to recognize really that, that Paul is doing his best to defend the gospel that he had presented to this church in Galatia. Largely a gospel that was all about faith in Christ, a gospel that was about Jesus plus nothing. You didn't have to do anything else in order to come to faith. You don't have to do anything else in order to come to a saving faith in Christ outside of believing in your heart and confessing with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, as Romans 10, 9 tells us. But what happened was in the church of Galatia, pretty soon there were these other teachers who came in. They were called Judaizers. And these Judaizers wanted everyone who had placed their faith in Christ to also follow the Jewish law. 
which meant that specifically in this case, the males needed to be circumcised. So Paul is arguing against this deeply because he knows that this isn't the agreement that God had made with them. And not just the agreement that, that, that God had made with the Gentiles. This actually goes way further back. This is actually contrary to the agreement that he made with the Jews as well. So just, just know that this is going to get a little heady here for a few minutes. But hopefully as we come out on, on the other side, we'll have a better understanding really of what Paul is trying to communicate. And it's important for us to understand what Paul is trying to do here. So we're starting in Galatians 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. It says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. This is the gospel that Paul is talking about. This is the gospel of coming to faith in Christ and Christ crucified. Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? We preached largely on verse 3 last week that Paul is telling them to, hey, go back to that point where you decided that your faith was important to you. Go back to where you decided that you were going to follow Jesus. How did that start? Was it by works of the flesh or works of the Spirit? Verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain what you heard? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Verse 6, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So super dense, and it starts talking about Abraham and faith and, and him being kind of the father of faith and children of Abraham and all this stuff. So we in, in the year 2020 really don't have a ton of context for what's being talked about here. And so we need to understand, we need to break this down for you to figure out where Paul is coming from. The first thing that we need to remember when it comes to this passage is that Paul is Jewish and a very studied Jew for that matter. But regardless of his roots, as a Jewish rabbi, regardless of how studied he was as a Jewish rabbi, God has called him, God has called Paul to evangelize to the Gentiles, otherwise known as anybody who isn't Jewish. So that's Paul's responsibility, which is pretty fantastic if you think about it. Paul had this incredible upbringing as a Jewish rabbi. He knew all the things. He's more learned than anybody else um, uh, as a rabbi. But that being said, God isn't going to use him to reach the Jews. God is actually going to use Paul to reach the Gentiles. So that's something very important that we need to remember. So the first five verses here are Paul calling back to the Galatians and telling them to remember where their faith started. Remember how you started. It wasn't by doing a bunch of stuff to get into heaven. It was by having faith in God. That's what Paul is doing in verses 1 through 5. And at this point, I'm sure the Judaizers could have accused Paul of preaching a new gospel. Of them pretty much saying something that had nothing to do with the Old Testament. They could have written Paul off completely and said, hey, that guy, he's teaching heresy. He's the one teaching heresy. Because of the fact that he is teaching all of these things that are contrary to what it is that we were told in the first place in, in the Old Testament. 
They could have easily said that, something, something that was not based in Jewish faith. Like he could, they could have said, hey, look, the Israelites being God's chosen people, this has nothing to do with that. So he, Paul is definitely preaching a new gospel here. That could have been the Judaizers' response to him. So it seems, though, that Paul is kind of anticipating that, right? He, he, kind of like one of those things when you're writing a work email, Right? You write something like, and before you say that Marcus didn't turn in his TPS reports, he did. Right? That's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's anticipating what somebody else could say. And so because of that, he launches in to a defense of where he's coming from. So he jumps in at verse 6. And verse 6, again, it says this. So also, Abraham, so also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we need to understand what this means then. What does it mean for something to be credited to somebody as righteousness? That his faith was credited to him as righteousness. It simply means that because Abraham had faith in God, and God sent his son to die for our sins. He is credited as righteous, and now Abraham is in heaven. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But we need to understand that Paul is actually quoting here from the Old Testament in Genesis 15, 6. It says this, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is a direct quote. Believed in God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he credited to him as righteousness. Paul is using this as a direct quote, and he's, saying, he's hearkening back to the Old Testament at this point. He's saying, look, this actually is rooted in the Jewish faith. This isn't a new gospel at all. This is what God had from the beginning. What we don't get from all of this really is why Paul is writing it. What Paul is doing here is he's clarifying for anyone who would have thought otherwise that this is not a new faith. This is not something new that, has, that he is just setting up. This is not a deviation from the Jewish faith. This is actually what God had set up from the beginning. He's telling the Galatians that not only are the Judaizers wrong now, they've actually been wrong about how to get to heaven for a really, really long time. So let's dig deeper because I actually think this is pretty fascinating because in verses 7 through 9, Paul takes the Galatian readers on a deep dive uh, into what is called the Abrahamic covenant. Um, it, he reminds the readers in verse 7 that all who believe are children of Abraham. So that's really important. All who believe are children of Abraham. Then in verse 8 he says this, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. He would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Okay, so he is, he is bringing up now in very specific words that God uses back in Genesis 12. It's really what Paul is doing. As, as he's talking to Abraham, God is talking to Abraham. It gets very specific in verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I told you it was going to get heady. Stay with me. Okay, it says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It doesn't say the Israelite people. It doesn't say those people of the Jewish faith. It says all peoples on earth all peoples on earth will be blessed 
through you. So God at this point has entered into a contract, a covenant within Abram. Eventually his name gets changed to Abraham. Uh, He tells him that his name, Abraham's name is going to be great and he is going to be a blessing to all people on earth. This is the Abrahamic covenant. There are tons of covenants in the Bible. There's the Noah covenant where Noah, uh, obviously there's, there's the flood and the ark and all that stuff, and he is delivered, and God says, hey, I'm never going to do this. Uh, I, I'm never going to wipe the entire population of the world ever again. Here's a rainbow is my promise, right? There's the Davidic covenant where he's talking to David, and he talks about the idea that, hey, Jesus is actually going to come from your lineage. A Savior is going to come from your lineage as David. There's plenty. There's the New Testament covenant that talks about the idea that Jesus Jesus is not only the Savior, but he's also going to come back. There's covenants all throughout the Bible. And so this one is no different. God tells Abraham, you are going to be a blessing to all people, all people on the earth. And so as the Jewish leaders, though, read this, oftentimes the thinking is that, he, that, that Abraham would be a blessing to all, to all people on earth, meaning uh, all of the Israelites, meaning all of the Jewish people, all of God's chosen people. He was saying, hey, look, you, you are going to be, be populous in number. Like you are going to have so many kids. Your descendants are going to, going to be the same as the numbers in the stars, right? He says all of these things. And because Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith, uh, this largely is why these people, these Judaizers, would have thought to themselves, this is talking about the Israelite nation. And so Paul actually takes this opportunity as he's writing to the Galatians to correct their theology all the way back to the beginning of the story of Abraham. It's incredibly fascinating. He tells the Galatians that even the father of the Jewish faith, Abraham, did not get into, the he- did not get into heaven because of the works of that he did. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't get into heaven because he almost sacrificed his son, right? He didn't get into heaven because he left his home when God told him to. He didn't get into heaven for any other reason outside of the fact that he had faith in God. And because he had faith in God, God credited it to him as righteousness and he is now in heaven. That's what Paul is talking about here. He is correcting their theology. So Paul is telling the Galatians this. Paul effectively corrects almost 3,000 years of bad theology because what the Judaizers thought was that because they were part of Abraham's bloodline, remember, Abraham, father of the Jewish faith, descendants are going to number the stars in the sky, all of those things, and because of the fact that they observed the law, they were going to get to heaven. But what Paul points out here is super important. It wasn't Abraham's bloodline that was going to make them clean and acceptable before God. It was actually Abraham's faith line. Two very, very different things. He summarizes this then, Paul summarizes this then uh, to the Galatians way better than I ever could in verse nine, where he says, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It doesn't say the man of the Jewish people or the man of God's chosen people. It says the man of faith. They are blessed because of their faith in the same way that Abraham was blessed because of his faith. Let's try to make this a little less complicated. But 
I understand that as I try to make it less complicated, it could confuse some of you. So bear with me for a second. So let's pretend for a second that I really, really, I really, really enjoy lifting weights. I mean, I live for it. I eat it. I breathe it. I sleep it, which could be a little bit dangerous. But I, I just love, love, love lifting weights. And because of that, I'm huge. I am so strong. I'm one of the strongest people in the entire world because of that, right? And so let's pretend that that's just what I'm known for. That's what I love. And when I walk into a room, everybody's really impressed by my muscles. We're just going to live in that fantasy for just a second. Okay. So now, though, I also have kids, right? And, and those kids see how strong I am, see how incredibly strong I am, and they begin to assume that because I am their dad, they will eventually be as strong as me. They're like, oh man, my dad, he's got, he's got so many muscles, I also am going to have so many of those muscles because my dad's blood runs through my veins. And they continue to say that and they continue to tell other people about how strong they are going to become because of the fact that their dad is incredibly strong. They say, I am going to have huge muscles because my dad's blood runs through my veins. But then my kids, they actually look over to their friend's house, their neighbor friend's house, and their friends are getting these massive biceps and getting super strong, and they are frustrated because their friend's dad actually doesn't have any muscles at all. And so my, my kids are like, wait, 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 hold on. My dad is the strongest person in the entire world, and I don't have any muscles yet, but, but, but my, my friend's dad... He doesn't have any muscles at all, and they're getting these massive biceps. That doesn't make any sense. And I have to remind my kids that it doesn't matter that you're related to me. It isn't your blood that makes you strong. It's your commitment to weightlifting that makes you strong. As weird as a metaphor as that is, I think it can actually clarify it a bit for us. Paul is telling them it isn't your lineage that gets you saved. It's your faith that gets you saved. That's what Paul is consistently going back here. And we do this still, right? How many of us as part of our testimony would, would start with, well, I grew up in a Christian home. That's usually where my starts. That's where my testimony tends to start. Hey, I grew up in a Christian home when I was eight years old, right? Like that is how my testimony begins. There is an assumption there that because of our lineage, because of what our parents believe or because of how we were brought up or what our parents did, that we are also cut from the same cloth. The reality we need to understand today is that while a lot of conversion stories start with, well, I grew up in a Christian home, there is also a ton of deconversion stories that start the same way. That, hey, because of my lineage, this happens. So we need to recognize that the transaction, the thing that we were promised as we entered into the covenant and contract that was laid before, out, laid before us, that was very, very plain for all of us. There was nothing hidden. No one had, had rolled the odometer back on our decision to follow, any, to, to follow Christ. The decision is simple. It is simply Jesus plus nothing. Paul makes that clear to everybody. We need to understand that that has to be true of all of us as well. That, hey, there is a transaction. There is a contract that we are to follow. And we really get the easy side of this contract. We simply have to say yes to Jesus. We simply have to believe in our heart and confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our side of the contract. And as long as we do that, we get eternal salvation, period. And that's hard for all of us to be able to understand. We try to muddy it up all the time that we have to do this, but we also have to do 
other things. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if you're a bad person. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, if your life is in shambles, or you're living your best life right now. It doesn't matter if your kids are doing distance learning for school or you're homeschooling. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you do. It is Jesus plus nothing. Paul makes that clear, not just to the Gentiles in Galatia, but also to every other Jewish person who would get their hands on this letter. That, hey, your faith, like, like in order to go to heaven, it's your faith that credits you as righteous. Not where you came from, not what you do. It is your faith, and that's the way it's always been ever since the very beginning with Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. And we have to remember, as Americans today, as Christians today, we have to remember that it doesn't matter the family that someone grew up in. It doesn't matter... Uh, 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 how nice they are to others. It doesn't matter how philanthropic they are with their money or anything like that. Everyone needs to hear the gospel of Christ and decide if they are going to follow it or not. That's it. Everyone needs to hear the gospel of Christ and decide if they're going to follow it or not. It reminds me a little bit of that idea of the rich young ruler, right? Uh, back in the New Testament who asked Jesus uh, what he had to do in order to get into heaven. And on the surface, Jesus' answer actually kind of looks like that he, he responds to the rich young ruler by saying, hey, follow me and do these other things. So Jesus tells him, hey, look, go sell all your stuff and follow me. And the rich young ruler before that was like, hey, I'm following all of the commandments. Like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And just like, hey, go sell all your stuff and follow me. That's all. And so on the surface, it looks like, hey, you need to follow me and you need to sell all your stuff. But Jesus recognizes in that instance that it is going to be impossible for this person to actually, the rich young ruler, to follow Jesus apart from getting some stuff out of the way. And the rich man, he knew, he knew everything about the law. He probably grew up in a home that helped teach him everything about the commandments. He had parents who taught him how to follow all those different things. But he had to hear the gospel for himself and decide if the gospel was worth following regardless of where he came from, regardless of the things that he had done. Jesus laid out the contract for him clearly. Follow Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. What would it look like if the church started simply proclaiming the gospel more often? Started having discussions with people regarding the gospel, not worrying about where people came from or if they were going to insult people if they asked them if they had a faith. If the church found the intestinal fortitude to just discuss the gospel with people in their, in, in their groups of friends, people in their oikos, people who they see all the time, who they already have a relationship with. If the church just said, hey, you, you know what, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm just going to say, hey, tell me about your faith. Or simply, do you have a faith? I'd love to hear about it. What does it look like? And talk to them via text about faith if you want to. We live in a digital world. Let's take advantage of it. And talk to them via text about, hey, I was just curious. I'm, 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 I'm working through the Bible right now or I've been reading through Galatians or whatever it is. And tell me about your faith. Do you have faith? Send them a message on Facebook. It doesn't have to be this super intense face-to-face -face deal in order for us to be able to have a conversation about a gospel that is literally Jesus plus nothing. The contract that we enter into literally asks very little of us on the front end where it says, hey, look, all you have to do in order to inherit eternal salvation is believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your lips that God raised him from the dead. 
and then you will be saved. That's all it asks us to do. Just have that conversation about faith. If the church began to get bold in doing things like that, man, this would be a great opportunity right now in the midst of a pandemic where everybody is searching for answers for Christians to stand up and say, hey, I've got some. This is an unwavering truth that I hold to. Let me share it with you. And be completely and totally revolutionized the, the face of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, man, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Galatians and just this constant reminder of the fact that it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. That God, it doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter anything like that. It's simply we need to place our faith in Christ. And God, for a lot of us, that's difficult. For a lot of us who hold on to guilt, who hold on to shame, who hold on to... Uh, the sins that we're continuing to perpetuate, God, that can be a difficult thing. And so, God, I just pray right now that we, you would just release us of that guilt and shame. That we would come to an understanding of the fact that we don't have to be better in order to, to come to you. That you love us exactly where we're at. And that as we enter into that relationship with you, we, we have to do nothing else outside of believe in our heart and confess with our lips. And then as we enter into that relationship with you, eventually, yeah, you want to see us become holy. You want to see our lives transformed because of the fact that you have stepped in and saved us in the first place. You want to see that, but you don't require it of us before we come to you. And so God, if there are people listening today watching today who who have not said yes to you who have not said you know what jesus plus nothing i i agree with that i'm done with the sin i'm done with the shame i'm just going to offer it up to you god and you can deal with it because that's what you do if that's you today i would just ask you to pray the abc's along with me just say father a i admit that i'm a sinner in need of a savior god i admit that that every single day I fall short, that I am not holy, I'm never going to reach your standard. But I believe that you sent your son to die on my behalf and that this gospel that you offer really is him plus nothing, Jesus plus nothing, that I just simply need to say yes to, to a son that died on my behalf, that conquered death, that was risen again and now goes before me as a mediator to you. And see, I choose to follow you every single day. That as I wake up in the morning, I would choose to honor you with my life. Not because you require it of us, God, but because we are so in love with you and your son and what, you, what he did on our behalf that it would be foolish for us not to. We choose to follow you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.